0: Welcome to About the Winelands. In this show, we will be chatting to influencers and leaders in the wine industry, winemakers, restaurants, and other businesses. Tune in every Wednesday and Friday for our latest episodes. You will find us on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you do not miss out. Make sure you never miss a chat here on About the Winers. Find the sign-up link in the description. Now, let's get on with the show. Uh, good day. Today we're talking to Sp- Spencer Fondermier from Warwick Estate. Uh, Spencer has uh, uh, been in the wine industry for many years. And um, I'm glad to talk to him. Welcome, Spencer.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much, Will. Uh, glad to be here.
0: Spencer, um, please tell us a little bit about yourself, your personal background, and I mean, how you became involved with the wine industry.
1: Cool. Um, well, first, I don't think it's a particularly long time. I've been involved in the wine industry since I moved to South Africa, so about uh, eight years now. Um, more more indirectly than directly, because I worked in hospitality first, um, mm-hmm. so I run, a, I run a few restaurants in Cape Town. Um, well started as one and then we expanded to three and I became the operations manager for the three, for the three restaurants. And within that space, um, I got involved in the, some of the world, the sommelier industry mm-hmm. um, and did my qualifications and got basically climbed that ladder. And, um, and, and that opened a few more doors for me. So then, then worked as a SOM, um, joined the sommeliers association, climbed that ladder as well. And now I'm the vice chair of the South African Sommelier's Association.
0: That's awesome.
1: And um, yeah, and that's, um, well, yeah, <laughs> it's cool. It's a it's a cool thing. It's, um, yeah, we have a really cool mandate. We are trying our best to to increase education and knowledge of people of, of wine f- in South Africa, create a larger drinking base, which would be better for the, the industry as a whole, both the hospitality industry and the wine industry. Um, and then after, four and a half years working in restaurants so um, I made the switch over and joined Warwick and now yeah that's that's slightly different slightly different um not slightly actually completely different part of the industry um which has been really interesting because you see you see the industry from two completely different sides and, and that's been really really eye-opening and very very cool in that
0: i'm way. just thinking of something you mentioned the you know uh, uh, expanding your drinking base um have you found that um with the growth mm-hmm. in your middle class in south africa that the drinking base is actually expanding or what is your cha- what you know what are your challenges
1: there um i mean purely numerically yes there are more people drinking wine think uh, the service data will tell you that but we think the other, the bigger thing that the the bigger numbers to, to look at is what people, what other things people drink. Um, and wine lags far behind beer and cider, um, spirits as well. And and that that's, that's not marking to the general population of South Africa. So mm-hmm. if we could get our numbers anywhere close to, we've got more people drinking. While as many people drinking wine as they drank beer, then the industry would look completely different.
0: Oh yeah, I would believe. I would believe that.
1: Oh yeah, no, in a huge way. I mean, we'd be producing more wine. We would be, we'd be treating the the land a lot better. We would be um, expanding vineyards rather than contracting them, um, and. Uh, totally. I mean, and the buying power would be, would be so much better. I think, I mean, there's a lot been written and a lot been said about the prices of grapes um, and the prices of South African wine in general. So increase, inc- increasing that drinking base will go a long, long way towards changing that. And a lot of it, is, it comes down to just education, I think. Wine can be. Amazing.
0: Well, the winelands in itself, you know, and your wine tours and all of that is a major education base. But my, my question further, I'm just thinking about it, you know, your millennials, are different breed. Um what's happening? Um are millennials mm. drinking wine?
1: Um, <laughs> difficult to answer on behalf of millennials <laughs> all over the world, but, um I think I think there's there's certainly an interest and then even like if you just spend a day at the estate and you see the the average age of the people coming through, they yeah, are definitely younger people drinking wine and okay. drink, um on social media. A lot of young people drinking wine and, and drinking wine for different reasons, you know so uh, I think there's a generation of us um, who are really well, wine and into wine and into the, the type of glassware that we use and the varietals and the history and soils and all that. but I think there's there's a new generation of drinker who just drink because it's nice they drink they drink because they like the taste of it, and that's you know that's that's the motivation people have to drink things like beer. they drink it because they like the taste of it, you know and, and then the hated stuff and the, the glamour stuff comes comes a bit later. But no one, no one started drinking 30, 40 year old um, um, scotch whisky. It didn't. It didn't start there. And people started <laughs> with, with one drink, another drink. And they, as they got to know it, they were like, "Cool, this is awesome." And then I want to drink something better, and I want to drink something with a bit more history and a little bit more prestige and, and all that. And you know, I think we kind of missed that a little bit with wine and that it, it, the the opening standard, the the bar to start is set so high, and the snob appeal and the snob effect is is so so great that a lot of people just don't get into it that's um, true. and yeah so so the, the, this new this new age of drinker these younger people who just want to drink something because it's nice i mean if they go to a wine farm they end up sitting down being told stories of soils and stories of, of um, terroir and 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 things like that and it's all cool i mean it's great it's great to have the stories but that's not really not not really what a lot of people want to know and I think yeah, I think we missed a trick somewhat in that way.
0: Oh, interesting, Spencer. You are one of only 500 individuals who passed the prestigious international wine exam. Can you tell us a bit more?
1: Yeah, um, um, it's not a, it's not actually a wine exam. as such it's the ASI um, diploma, mm-hmm. which is the, the the sort of highest qualification you can have as a sommelier in Europe. Okay. Um, not to be confused with the Quartermaster Sommeliers, which is, which is a completely different entity and that's a little bit more Anglo. Um, so both it's quite big in the UK and in America, uh, whereas the ASI is a little bit bigger in um, the traditional wine producing countries, France, Italy, Spain. Um, and it's been going around, it's been going on for quite a while. It's almost, I think, started in the 50s, if I'm not mistaken. And um, the various entry are quite difficult. In that, up until last year, the only way you could do the exam was you could do it in. You had to do it in a second language, which is quite intense. So, if you're English speaking, you need to do the exam in French. If you're French speaking, in German, um, which is cool. I mean, for well, European interesting. Setting, a lot of people. Yeah, no, it's intense. <laughs> it's crazy. So, um, I mean, if so did you do it in setting, French? That makes sense. No, is- no, goodness, no. So, <laughs> I was, I was a beneficiary of the relaxed. Um, Regulations in that um, you are allowed not to do it in your in your home language. So I did it in English. Um, but the one thing, so they have three levels. You can get a gold, silver, or bronze pass. Um, so I actually qualified for silver pass. But then you can only get a bronze award because we did it in your home language. Um, so, so that's that's pretty much it. So just the, just the the difficulty is is what sets it apart. So I so few people have passed it? It's an intense exam, and you do it took. Like it took about six hours um, oh. to do, and it has seven, seven. I think it's seven different components. So, Does it have a practical um, component
0: it's pretty, as well? Pretty intense. Uh, it's been,
1: yeah, um, several, several practical components. Oh. Um, so the actual. So there's, there's. A, yeah, sorry. I think I got a bit of a, of a dodgy connection there. Um, can you, can you hear me?
0: I can hear you. Yes, sorry. Okay, cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, that's fine. So, um, so the, there is a, there's a theory component, which is just, which is pretty long. I think it's about 150 questions about why and from all over the world, if I remember correctly. Then there's an essay, um, which is, which is quite nice um, because the essay is a real, it's a real life um, sort of, um, you, you basically do a dissertation on, on a particular angle of the industry, depending on what the question is um the one i had was quite interesting the question was about the non-drinking culture right now and how it's it's being, how it is becoming more and more fashionable not to drink or to drink less and what that means for the industry of sommeliers so i so, um, think about an hour to write something about that and then the rest is all practical so there's a tasting component blind tasting component there's a role play component a food and wine um active food and wine pairing and then there's a
0: practical task Oh, wow, amazing so um spencer you yeah. cur- currently you're the brand manager at um uh, warwick estate can you tell us a bit of you know warwick has an interesting history can you tell us a bit more
1: yeah i could actually i could spend the rest of this hour telling <laughs> you about that um so yes yeah, a very very cool history it's, um uh, it's quite a, it's quite uh, quite cool to be working for um for a property like Warwick. Um, We've been around since uh, in in production terms, since the mid eighties, we made our first vintage. First vintage one went out in 1985 um, and have made a vintage of wine ever since then. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, And we are now the single biggest, um, single biggest estate in Stellenbosch with the acquisition of 8K Um, and we have some incredible um, as as the estate, we want to become uh, a significant wine producer internationally. In that, um, the, the reputation of South African wines is both really good and really bad um, internationally. Um, and I mean, that's for really bad for historical reasons, but really good as well. In that, we're making some really cool stuff mm-hmm. that um, that are that is as good as anything in the world. I think the the Cannonball Paul really changed the world. Um, Contain the world's perception of that um however a lot of the wines you make are not not in significant enough volume to really shake the world so Mm -hmm. it's it's amazing stuff but it's just not in it's not big enough that the whole world will get to taste Um, and and that's that's that becomes a huge problem because it becomes it becomes cult wine rather than iconic wine Mm -hmm. and and i think there's, there's a difference there because there's a lot of cult wine around the world well, it's not difficult. It's not impossible to make it one or two barrels of something that's incredible, uh, but it's a lot difficult to make massive barrel, uh, massive production of something that's completely incredible. Um, and and that's where we sort of fall short. We sort we, so we fall short because we don't produce enough. The, the um, in in any single estate in South Africa, no one's producing mass mass producing wines in volumes of one hundred to two hundred thousand, three four hundred thousand bottles of that superior world-class quality. And that's what we're going to try and do. Well, that's, that's our vision as well That's what we want to try and, and get to you know, and, you know, model ourselves sort of like, you know, like the Penfolds in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, have, have wines in different ranges and have incredible, um, an incredible reputation in those ranges as well. And we're very much on the way to, to doing that. Like, um, from a consumer perspective with our first lady range the whole ethos behind the first lady range um, the name the first lady pays tribute to norma ratcliffe who was the founder and our first wine maker one of the first female winemakers in south africa um so the, the first lady range pays homage to that and the idea or a lot of people say but we really believe in it that every bottle of wine we make every wine we make we make the best we make the best wine we can make in that range, in that price range and so when we're making our, our sort of higher tier exclusive stuff we will spare no expense we'll pick the best sites we will make the wine as best we can but also when we're making the wines in the first lady range we know obviously you can't be the dream but no one can drink wines that cost 300 grand plus every single night um but we wanted to make warwick accessible to everyone and so we created this range of wines but we still put the same ethos in, and focus into making them and in so doing you know, no, um, no, no stone is left unturned. We do the best we can to make it, and that, that even if at that lower price point, it's still going to be the best wine. And um, we, we've we've encountered a lot of success with that, and people vote with their with their feet to that. In that, we have the best-selling cabernet in that sort of uh, premium range, which is sort of between eighty to one hundred fifty land a bottle. We've got the best-selling chardonnay in that range. We've got the fastest-growing sauvignon blanc in that range, which is the most competitive. Um, um, market for wines in South Africa at the moment and um, our rosé as well is the best-selling rosé so within the first lady range we are we are right up there the consumers love the wine we are making a wine that people love um, and then with our premium stuff we have consistently done very well on the award circuit which both internationally and locally um, and 2015 is pretty well 2015 vintage last year's awards were quite a highlight for us we got the best producer at the Trophy Wine Show, and I think we've got four, oh. five-star platinum in our in our range of wines. So definitely, definitely doing something um, right with that. So well on our way to to producing that on a, on an even larger scale with the with the with the new infrastructure that we now
0: have. Well, oh, that's interesting. So, yeah, you're looking at expansion, which is unbelievable, and um, a great vision. Yes. To, a great yeah.
1: vision to have. No, totally. And actually, just to that point, and sorry to interrupt you, but also just to that point, we are embarking on one of the biggest replantings that's happened in South Africa for the oh, last. Oh, really? Probably in the last five years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we um, we are replanting a significant amount of new vineyard over the next five years, focusing particularly on Cabernet Franc, which has been would has been an important wine for us at the estate. We were the very first um, estate to bottle a straight Cabernet Franc in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And we've had a hell of a lot of success with our Cabernet Franc since then. And it's only made sense now that we've based our entire production around it. So our flagship wine, the trilogy from 2015 is now Cabernet Franc based, and we want to increase the volume of our straight Cabernet Franc as well. And it will also play a part in our our second year bordeaux blend as well
0: oh that's that's very interesting um spencer something different the warwick Mm. wedding warwick wedding cup there's a story around that as well what is this
1: (laughs) yeah it's a cool story um it's a very cool story um it's the story of it's a love story actually which is which is always nice it endears itself to a lot of people the story of princess kunigunda um and the myth goes that she was she was the favorite daughter of the king at the time and he um loved her dearly but she fell in love with a commoner and he was an average blacksmith and um the king forbade her to continue the relationship because she was royalty and um he had greater things planned for her but she loved him dearly and she refused to listen to him, so she took went on hunger strike and refused to eat completely, locked herself in a room and never came out. And the king, above all else, as much as he wanted greater things for his daughter, he loved his daughter dearly and he wanted her to live. So he ended up compromising and Goldrow went released, really well, went over to her dungeon where she had locked herself and said, Listen, what are we gonna do? We gotta make this this work, I can't have you dying. So, he's like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not compromising. I really love this man, and I want to marry him. So the king caught up in the corner and said, "Oh dear, okay, well, I'm going to have to. If you're going to marry him, then I want to make sure that he is worthy of your hand, for he is not of royal lineage." And so he called the blacksmith to the palace, and he said, "Listen." My my daughter is smitten with you and I can't understand why, but you are a blacksmith and a talented one at that, I believe. So I'm going to set you a challenge. And if you can, if you can fulfill this challenge, then you can have my daughter's hand in marriage. Um so the blacksmith loved it loved the daughter as much as he loved him. And he said, Well, I'll do anything. Tell me what the challenge is and I'll make it work. So, like, so the king told blacksmith, I want you to create a cup that two people can drink from at the same time without anything spilling. Um, and if you can do that, then you will prove yourself intelligent enough and worthy enough for my daughter's hand in marriage. So the blacksmith went away and he created the wedding cup. And the wedding cup is actually that's the, the logo that you have on any bottle of our of our warrior clients. Um, and it's quite a, it's, it's actually, it's, it's, a, it's a chalice. So it's a cup. Um, Mm-hmm. But it's shaped like a lady and lady carrying a um well, like a pot on the top of her head. Um and she's wearing a long skirt. So the, the, the pot is so rotates on an axis. So basically when you um hold it up, it will rotate with you. So you can literally drink from the, the bottom of the cup, which is the lady's skirt. Um doing my best to, to describe it. It's actually a lot easier yeah. when you have the visual. But, um yeah, basically, um, so if you turn it to the side, you can put the wine in the cup, and then, because of the the rotating axe at the top the the little top of the cup will swing, and that'll there you have it, so you can actually drink from it at the same time. So he took the cup back to the king, and the king was incredibly impressed, so he allowed his daughter to marry the blacksmith, and the rest was was history. Um, but the cup is actually known as the wedding cup or the marriage cup, and um is been used in that tradition for a very long time. And we have it at the estate. You can actually buy it. So you wow. over here. It's for sale at the estate for just under three thousand rand. It's made of pure silver. So um, quite a cool wedding gift. Um, and a lot of people have enjoyed that tradition at the estate. You have lots of people come back and lots of people tell us on social media that they oh my we remember coming the, a for our
0: story. anniversary
1: and we, we did the cup. Yeah, no, it's lovely. It is lovely. And I think people I mean, and as much as the wine sells itself and it's it's really good quality wine and stuff, it's always nice to have a few stories people people enjoy hearing stories and it's nice to attach a meaning to something other than it just being a bottle of wine.
0: Excellent. Just a quick interruption, but I do need to remind you that we are currently in a very difficult time. The South African government I set up a fund where businesses and individuals can donate to support our country through this crisis. Go to the website now and add your small donation. www.solidarityfund.co.za. Please join us all in the fight against COVID-19. That is at www.solidarityfund.co.za. Now let's get on with the show. Talking about weddings, I assume that Warwick is a, a, a favorite of, of wedding planners and um, wedding events.
1: Um, not, not in the way you'd think actually so we have we have an incredible hospitality um, division where we do gourmet picnics. We were once again one of the first actually we were the first one to, uh, to pioneer the idea of a gourmet picnic which was a, which was um a little bit of a play on restaurant, I think, where a lot of other estates are blessed with fantastic facilities to do, to um, have great restaurants. We were not, we're not so lucky at Warwick. So we used what we had and we recreated mm-hmm. something out of nothing and um, used the beautiful landscape that we had and created the picnic space. And with the with the picnics, you get with the gourmet picnics, you get a really nice selection of pretty much three courses. Um, laid out really nicely in an easy-to-eat kind of way, um, laid out in a blanket, and you can sort of while away, enjoy the day um, on the lawns, watch the watch the lake or the dam, and um, enjoy the food. And then on the flip side of that, we also have a little bit more private. We've created these little pods where if you're in a bit more of a private setting, you can do the same thing. Um, and it's turned out to be incredibly popular. We've been doing it for, geez, I think, about almost 10 years now and um like geez from november to february it's completely chocker people we have bookings going we, we close up at some point then you get a waiting list going for days for people to get through um over that time of the year uh, but we don't have as much space as some other um, estates in Stellenbosch. And so we don't really offer too much as, as far as a wedding venue is concerned. Okay. We, we have done some smaller weddings, like to about, I think about 200 odd people in a bit of a private space. We have a smaller private space that can accommodate that. But um, yeah, not, not <laughs> can't do the massive big thing 500 to 1,000 people wedding.
0: But at least they can come buy the wedding cup right and the wine for the wedding oh no
1: absolutely yes yes indeed um, yes indeed
0: <laughs> so um club warwick i saw this on your website can you tell us a bit more about yes. it and the benefits
1: absolutely oh no i'm 100 we am very excited to tell you about that it's the newest project that we're working on at warwick um, and something like that I'm, I'm pretty close to I'm something i've been working on in a personal capacity for a long time um so Here it comes again. We were one of the first estates to have um, a a wine club in 2006. And um, over the time, we peaked at 1,500 members, which is really, really cool. Wow. Um, But we found that um, wine clubs have gotten a little bit stale. And we've done a lot of research, even internationally. And a lot of what a wine club offers its members is exclusivity. So you get your sort of first dibs at um, new release wines. And you get good prices on all the wines and favorable Favorable, um, favorable buying terms. And that's that's pretty much the play that most people have, and that's that's worked in that way. Um, and it, it it does get pretty dated. I mean, if you're a member of 10 different clubs, it's it's pretty much the same offer, just in a different guise. Mm-hmm. So, so we set out trying to do something incredibly exciting and different um, and really plug into how who we see as the average Warwick wine drinker um, and how we see our brand. Um we, we position it as a lifestyle brand, and that people who drink Warwick enjoy the outdoors um, enjoy experiment, enjoy trying new things, and um, work well with different with with other brands. and so we've we've done a lot of different campaigns in our marketing with other brands uh, working hand in hand at that because it's not just about the wine. it's about do you enjoy your wine while out hiking. Or we did a really cool campaign at the end of last year with summer I mean we we came together with four or five other South African bands and put a summer package together. We could then really highlighting the things that we feel South Africans love to do during summer, um especially Tonians. so we we focused it on on beach, so we did some swimwear, sunglasses um sunscreen, and of course the wine and that's the sort of stuff that that people do so um it, it then becomes part of a cool, of a better story. We're not just telling you, hey, drink our wine because it's a hot sunny day and it'll quench your thirst thing. Um, this is a lifestyle thing, what you enjoy doing over summer, you can lump our wine into that and it becomes a total package. And that's how we really see the positioning of our brand. So um, as I alluded to earlier, and I, I said, like we, we see that the average wine drinker the, or the new age wine drinker isn't too fussed as much, as much about the heritage of the wine and the... The, the unpronounceable French names and the, the, the real detail about um, the, the type of soil that we use and, and all of that. Um, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, that's obviously incredibly important. And there's a whole other type of wine drinker out there who's really interested in that. And we cater to that as well. But um, really influencing a whole, a, a whole other generation of drinkers is about really fitting the wine into part of their lifestyle. And that's what we've done with, with well, Club Warwick. We've basically created a lifestyle club. Around that, and so the actual package is you get a curated um, selection of wines, which I put together every two months, curated um, selection of our wines, and um, you get nine of them for 999 rand delivered to your doorstep. But alongside that, you get a real you get access to a bunch of um, very cool partner offers with other brands that we've worked with. So we get we've got um, you cook, um, travel start. Um, the cotton company is actually quite a number. have to run off. But if you go on the website, you can see them. You can you click on that. You can see who the partners are. Um, sorry, friend, I'm gonna get in trouble for not naming all of them. Um, Sweep South is a partner currently, um, mm-hmm. and I think i got them all. Um, and every 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 two months, or every edition, we will add some extra partners as well. So then, basically, as a as a, Club partner, as a Club Warwick member, you get access to discounts from all these other brands as well, and you get access to products from all these other brands as well, which is really cool because they're products that fit your lifestyle as well. So if you're the sort of person who, who would enjoy a you U-Cook package, if someone who travels, you'd enjoy a discount with Traveling Lot. Um, someone who's up on the ballot and on the go, you'd enjoy using south services. Um, and all that, so obviously, you get, and then you get your nine lines every month every two months as well so that's the whole idea behind the club which is which is pretty cool and then we've also created a lot of really interesting content on it so if you actually want to click on the club work page it's like really cool stuff about what's happening, what's happening some interesting stories um stories about lifestyle stuff stories about wine things like that so it's really a full all-encompassing membership it's like join becoming a member of a club rather than it being just a question of hey here's a discount here's some free wine well oh, that's a um, so that's
0: that's an amazing story I think you know um, the future of marketing is collaborating with other lifestyle brands in in, in especially for one So, so that is very very cool mm. and um, I think this is unique I haven't seen it anywhere else but um, I, can, I can be corrected but yeah what a no good, no I think what um, a great TV idea we
1: are, are pioneering with this and I think it's it's a really cool idea and you know we hope so it's, it's unfortunate that 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 launch coincided with the lockdown period, and and that happened, and obviously the COVID-19, and um, the the stories that are being the, the more personal stories are are right now about survival and life in this new normal, um and staying safe and and um you know well, flattening the, first... the curve. Yeah, and I mean it's obviously that that's cool that that needs to be that needs to be what's discussed at length, but hopefully in uh not too distant future we can get past that and yeah we can really explore the the magnitude of how how big or how cool this club can become
0: so um warwick wines are international as well i see you've got international distributors yes indeed Um, could you tell us a bit more about that
1: yes indeed um so interestingly um we aren't as big (laughs) in the state as a lot of people would imagine i think Perception of a lot of, of, of big, uh, bigger South African farms is that um, or, or wine labels is that they export a lot more than they than they produce locally. So you you magnify what your local footprint is and expand that two fold, three with what you export. We are actually quite opposite in that model in that our most of our wines are, are consumed in South Africa. Which is pretty awesome, um, and you know, that goes back to what I was saying before. You know, that inward facing, creating greater, uh, greater wine, uh, um, a wine drinking culture within South Africa, increasing the base of wine drinkers, and trying to sell more wine domestically. South Africa is the only wine producing country, major wine producing country that exports more wine than it consumes you know, um, domestically. Oh. And you know, if you've been privileged enough to travel and you go off to Europe and you, you spend time in in the in the little villages in France and Italy and Spain you'll find that in those little villages people drink the wine from the region and support the wine from the region and what gets exported is is really the big commercial stuff the big name stuff but the real fantastic little gems um, are all locally produced and are all locally enjoyed um, with no fuss and no frills no no Riedel glasses no crystal glasses no no decantation and things like that it's just people salt of the earth people living their lives enjoying, drinking the wine and enjoying their culture and you know that's something if we can replicate and we kind of do to a point with our first day of wines and that you know we've got a lot of of um south african wine peak, south african people, south african wine um so our exports are not are not the base of our of our production at the moment um but we are increasing it obviously with the greater volume that we have and the limited drinking um is in south africa so we are looking at growing that um at, at the moment it's almost about 70, 30 i seventy percent drunk of our production uh, consumed locally, thirty percent exported, um, and I imagine that number is going to change over time as the production increases. Um, our biggest markets is currently in the is the UK um, and a little bit in Asia. A fair market in America that's also growing, and then of course the rest of
0: Europe. Awesome. Uh, Spencer, you mentioned the coronavirus, and of course, this has now forced or are forcing everyone to rethink their business models. Do you have any changes or new ideas in mind? And uh, you know, what are you doing about this whole thing? Yeah,
1: um, it's 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 changes. It's changed life as we know it completely. You know, um, and I think particularly for us in the wine industry, because we cannot sell. I mean, a single thing. I mean, up until yesterday, at least, with the with the lifting of the export ban, which is really cool, because now at least we can we can um, get some some fuel back into the engine and, and start you know turning turning the wheels again. But um, yeah, the impact is is incredibly massive, um, and it, it changes everything. You know, and one of the big campaigns we do at Warwick is Mother's Day. It's just, we, we 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 the single biggest um, event that we we really pull. Pull, um, pull a lot of resource towards, and that's completely that that's completely shifted that that ground for us. Um, in that, it, it's it's unlikely. Uh, considering Mother's Day is the tenth of May, it's unlikely we may still even be in lockdown when that comes around. So it's forced us to rethink a lot of things um, and and digitize a lot of our strategy going on in that way. Uh, as I was telling a little bit uh, before we started the conversation, of it was uh, basically we don't know because you don't know when you're going to be able to sell wine again. So, you know, it's very difficult. It very different if you had a, a definite end in mind and say, okay, cool. Once the 21st hits, we're going to hit that campaign, that campaign. So we are working on a lot of things. Um, we've got some really cool ideas going, um, for when the ban is lifted. And in the interim, we are trying to stay as relevant as possible, um, in a very congested online space at the moment. Um, it's, it's such a narrow channel and a lot of brands are trying to capture the attention of people right now so you know we're going about that in our own way trying to be as creative as possible and as clever as possible and continue to tell the cool stories that we we do around the brand um we are still pushing the club work aspect which is really cool in itself um and we are completely re-looking at doing the mother's day campaign but in a, in a more digital space um so yeah i think i think that's that's. That's that, and we, we we're we're trying to be as adaptable as possible, and I think that's what you need to be more than anything else. You can't stay married to an idea. You can't stay fixed to a a certain um way of thinking in this time because you're just going to be swallowed up and gobbled up and and spat out again. So we're trying to be as dynamic as possible, and and work whatever channel opens up first, and try to find the way to maximize that as much as possible. So if they if the if the directive is changed and, and they say, okay, cool, you can have wine delivered, then we'll work an angle that we, we, we've we got some scenarios planned um, and campaigns thought out around that being the channel that we can use. If they say, you can only sell over certain hours, we can, we've can we got a campaign planned and some strategy <laughs> around that. So it's all about really just trying to be as dynamic as possible.
0: You know? So you spin it. Hey, guys' gloves off, let's go so you're spending your time planning at the moment
1: yeah a lot of spinning wheels a lot of spinning wheels um, a lot of consultation a lot of zoom meetings a lot of time spent in front of a screen
0: i I, I read Um, somewhere that you know some study that wine makes you more creative so i certainly recommend that you you do (laughs) your own wine while you are thinking about all the stuff <laughs> no
1: i'll take I'll take that completely to heart. I will say I've been in the fortunate physician working for a winery during lockdown is there is no shortage of wine which is which is really cool so that's
0: great so Spencer, yourself what is the most important thing that you have learned from your wine journey
1: that's a, um, uh um it's a question I'm asked very often in different ways but I, I like to answer that in that I'll, my my wine story is a particularly interesting one, and in that growing up in Kenya, wine wasn't really, wasn't wasn't a massive part of culture for us. Um, I was fortunate that my my mom and dad drank wine often, and um, it was always part of it was always there in my household growing up, um, and. And so it wasn't it wasn't completely alien to me, but I can imagine in in the '90s and '90s sort of two, early 2000s in Kenya the wine that we had access to in Kenya was not was not always the best. In fact, um, the uh, box wine um, was 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 quite a treat. Like it was when my dad would make my mom upset, he'd buy her a five liter cask, and that was that was the best thing ever. So. Um, um, I I had an I had a relationship with wine from a completely different way. Then my 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 girlfriend, who now my wife, and she moved down to South Africa first. Have, um, and I came to visit her for the first time. Was my first experience ever actually going to a wine estate and tasting wine, and um, the first wine I ever tasted, but properly, was a um, Gewürztraminer which was really cool for an introduction wine for anyone because well first of all it's generally sweet but second of all it has such distinct flavor characteristics and so you're not searching you're not searching for it's not vague like if you drink a cab and you're like oh, what what on earth is cassis and what how can you taste black pepper and i think that comes a bit more refinement but um, um uh having done that and 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 through that way, I was like, "Oh my goodness! This is this is a whole new world for me. this. is exciting." I remember getting back in the car and telling my wife, "You've got to tell me everything you know about wine. I can't wait to taste another one. I can't wait to learn to learn more." And and I think that's that's the most important thing for me or for anyone going on a wine journey. It's it's really, um, it's really about about finding the enjoyment of what's in your glass. Never mind the stories. Never mind the pretense. Never mind the price tag. It's really just um finding and identifying with it and and enjoying it and. And once you start, then the ball just rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls. And a lot of people I know who enjoy wine have, have similar stories, you know, to so started with one and then you got to the other. And then, and as you got to uncover it and you got to learn the differences between this and the other. And, and, and it, it, it is truly an amazing thing. And I think wine is the, probably the only thing in the world that you can drink that will taste different every time you drink it. Um, and that's quite incredible you know you can drink a, a, su- a super expensive scotch whiskey 25 years or 30 years old whatever it is or a really fine cognac but it'll never have from vintage bottle to bottle it'll always be the same um but one is a few things that every single vintage will give you will taste completely different and that'll tell you a completely different story and and i think that's just such an exciting thing to think about uh you can have six wines made by this same person from the same patch of land open them every day for a different day of the week and it'll taste different and it'll give you a completely different story it'll give you a whole different idea and that's that's just the most amazing thing about it and now you can never get tired of drinking
0: wine that's for sure spencer you obviously love your wine and have a passion for this so my last question to you is what is your favorite wine quote
1: (laughs) quote yeah wow Good good question. Um, I I, gotta be honest, I don't actually know too many other people's quotes off the top. You can you can
0: always give head. us
1: um, your you can always give us your own one. <laughs> well I'll tell you this actually I've I've heard it say before said in different ways, but um, um I think it uh, goes something like your favorite wine is the wine that you're enjoying in your glass right now. Um and I've always thought that that's that, that, that's pretty profound. And that's pretty cool because um, as a wine enthusiast, you spend a lot of time tasting different wines uh, with a different hat on. I'm fortunate enough to have been uh, on different panels for judging and judging different wines and things like that. And um, you know, you end up, sometimes you're lucky you find yourself buying a cult wine or you find yourself in possession or ownership of it. And you know, you have all this anticipation. You're like, Oh my God, I finally got a bottle. You open it up and expecting the world to change with the first sip and you find oh my goodness it's actually pretty average or it's not as what i expected it to be oh my goodness it's cork it's oxidized and um and and you can end up wasting your life in that way saving yourself to taste something that that's built up to be amazing and turns out not to be and then another day you open your bog standard sauvignon blanc on a super hot sunny day your family's around you uh we've just got some really good news you sip it and it tastes like the most amazing thing that you've ever tasted in your entire life, and then you open it and the <laughs> you open a second bottle the next day, and it's nothing like that. And I think it really goes down to say, what, what's in your glass? What you're enjoying that, that, that moment in your life—that's that's what—that's um, that's the thats the best wine you ever tasted, you know, for for that moment.
0: Spencer, it's awesome talking to you, and um, I greatly appreciate your time. As a final Thanks, thing, with you, you um, if people want to get a hold of Warwick and want more information, um, where should they go?
1: Oh well, fortunately, we are everywhere, so um, <laughs> we are pretty active on Facebook. Okay. Um, so you can just find a, find our page on Facebook, and actually all, all social media channels um, were pretty active on all of them.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and then you can directly inquire from our website if you have any questions. You can um, you can just go Warwickwine.com um and of course you know here in stellenbosch you can always visit us at the estate we open 365 days a year we have an incredible team at the estate really really welcoming we work really hard at at making sure everyone feels the welcome and feels the love when they come there. so um at any time if you're in the area please come through and yeah i think that's pretty much it and most of all you can always just pick up the phone and call as well
0: excellent we'll put all the links and everything um down in the description um of this, of this recording but um, Spencer yeah. thank you thanks again and um, I, you know I'd love to talk to you again in future but thanks for your time amazing
1: well. thank you very much mate and um,
0: thank you for the opportunity you been really a good at Thank you for supporting our show if you would like to get more exposure for your business please have a look at our sponsorship options Thanks again for supporting about the winelands please follow us on YouTube and on your social media channels. All details and links are in the description.